So in, in 2001, many people saw the Pixar classic Monsters, Inc. Anyone? Nick has. I wasn't alive then. You weren't alive then, but you've seen it since then? In Monsters, Inc., we follow the exploits of James P. Sullivan, known as Sully, and his one-eyed sidekick assistant named... There we go. You've seen it, I guess. So, the large, blue-furried Sully, he's the top scarer at Monsters, Inc., and Monsters, Inc., if you haven't seen the movie, don't worry, no spoiler alerts because it's 20-some years old. But it's a company that runs the town on the screams of little children to capture it. So they, they capture the screams, they generate the power, not solar energy, not fossil fuels, but it's literally a city that runs on fear. And so the monsters sneak into the bedrooms of the little kids at night, scare the kids, bottle their screams in canisters in order to return their screams back to the power plant as fuel. So Monsters, Inc., it's funny. It's a comedic adventure with twists and turns as you follow Sully, Mike Wazowski, and his cute little girl. Boo. Thank you. But in all seriousness, that storyline, it makes for a fun kids' Pixar movie, but that storyline is actually not Pixar fantasy. If you think about it, a city, a town, a population that runs on screens, or more literally, a people who are powered by fear. My friends, that's not just movie fantasy. I would actually contend that's the world that we're currently living in. It's a world that's running on fear. A few years ago, Rolling Stones magazine featured an article. The title of the article was, Why We're Living in an Age of Fear. And here's one of their conclusions of why we're living in an age of fear. They say, for mass media, insurance companies, big pharma, advocacy groups, lawyers, politicians, and so many, for, so many more, your fear is worth billions and fortunately for them, your fear is also very easy to manipulate. We're wired to respond to it above everything else. That's quite the line, that your fear is worth billions. And people have figured out how to stoke the fear of people to get the response that they want. Not just with our money, but we pay the price also with our emotions and our bodies and our minds, and it comes into our journey of faith. And that's just the fear that we live in as far as a society, the fear coming from without, not to mention all the fear that comes from within. But a, a world that runs on fear a world powered by fear. I'm here to tell you, my friends, it's not the good life. It may be highly motivating to have your fears pushed 
But it's not the good life. It's not the God life. And the good news of the gospel is that there actually is another way. So if you have a Bible tonight, open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. So if you're new with us, this summer we're just starting a new series on the fruit of the Spirit. So we had a few weeks of introduction. Tonight we actually get to start going into the list. And talk about some actual fruit. Here's Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. The Apostle Paul writes near the end of his letter to the churches of Galatia. And he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things, there is no law. So the God life, the good life, according to Paul, as he begins to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, it begins with what? Love. That actually the good life, the God life, begins with love. Love is the beginning, the middle, and the end of the spiritual journey. And according to the Bible, there's only one thing that can actually deal with our fear. There's actually one thing that displaces our fear, and that's love. That's the way love works. This is 1 John Chapter 4, verse 18, John, who spent a lot of time with Jesus, he writes this. He says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So actually, the way the world has been designed by God to operate and for us to live in, the desire of God for you is that you would be perfected in love. And in doing so, that his perfect love would actually displace fear. That you would experience the expulsive power of love. And not be driven by fear and anxiety. But rather come to experience what happens when love is at play. You see, in the Bible, when Scripture defines God, he's defined as love. That's 1 John 4, 16. For God is love. John also says that love comes from God. That's 1 John 4, 7. John, he's got a lot to say about love, if you read 1 John, or the Gospel of John. But he also says that love is the proof that someone has been born of God and knows God. That's the second half of 1 John 4, 7. So he says, God is love. Love comes from God. And the way that you'll know that you've been born of God and you actually know God is that you will love. Jesus had this constant teaching, the great commandment. Someone asked, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus replied, love God with all that you are, Heart, mind, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So this is the great commandment of life. Love God with all things and love others. Barring from Jesus in Galatians chapter 5, 
Paul says that the whole of the law is actually fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This love thing is huge. God is love. Love comes from God. It's the mark of those that know God. It's the command of God. It's the whole of the law. And then uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, he just keeps going about love. He says that without love, your most eloquent language is just noise. It's just like an annoying gong. And without love, the depth of your knowledge is pointless. Without love, you're, you could have mountain-moving faith, but it's nothing. And without love, even sacrificial generosity and heroic martyrdom is a waste of time, because Paul goes on to say that love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist in its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. He says, so now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of all is love. So in a nutshell, biblically speaking, love is the greatest and highest force in the universe. So consequently, as God is committed to cultivating the divine life in us, that's his desire, is that we would actually participate in the life of God. As he's cultivating his life in us, it should come then is no surprise that the first of the fruit, the first of the facets on the list is love. This is where the conversation begins, and this is where the conversation ends. So tonight, let's talk about love. That's just a small topic. Holy cow, that's a giant, like, yeah, just talk for a few minutes on love. How do you begin to tackle the fruit of the Spirit that is love? So a, a couple things I could do but won't do. I could talk about, about defining love. So like I could go, I could go C.S. Lewis on you and give you the Greek words, the four loves, the four Greek words of love, and talk about eros, that's sexual love, and storge is familial love, and phile is friendship love, agape, God-style, unconditional love. And Paul does use the word agape here in Galatians 5. It's not just a feeling, but the steady direction of a person's will toward another person's lasting good. So I could define love for you, but here's my sense is that many of you have had love defined for you before. I, I could talk about the levels of love don't you know that God has enrolled you in the graduate school of love? Love 101 is love of self. Love, one, love 201 is love of your family. Love 301 is the love of your neighbor. Love 401 is the love your 
enemies. And Jesus calls us to that kind of love. He calls us to grad school love. I'm still working on Love 101. I could talk about the multidimensional nature of love. I could talk about how, really, this list, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, this nine facets really, in many ways, is just like a diamond of love being spun in the light, and you get to see different parts and different facets of love. D.L. Moody captured it best. I'll give you his quote. He says that joy is love exalted, and peace is love and repose. Long-suffering is love enduring. Gentleness is love and society. Goodness is love and action. Faith is love on the battlefield. Meekness is love in school. And temperance is love in training. Good old D.L. Moody. So in essence, to, to look at any one of the facets of the fruit of the Spirit is really to see just a different expression of love. And if you read 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul gives his famous expression of love, so many of the fruit of the Spirit show up in that description too. So love is multidimensional. Love has different levels of expression. Love can be defined. But tonight, as we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, that's not really where I want to spend my time. All of those are true and good and need to be defined and understood, challenged. But again, as we talked about in our intro over the last few weeks, we need to think about gardeners, think as gardeners, and think about hands in the dirt and what God is cultivating in the soil of our hearts, the soil, the seed, the cycles, right? An indirection. How does, how does garden stuff happen? How do things grow? So here's what I want to talk about tonight when it comes to the fruit of the spirit of love. Here's the question. How does someone become a more loving person? Because you may know, like the four Greek word, the Greek word of love is, and be a jerk. Like you could define it all you want and live completely antithetical to love. I'm sure you know some of those people. Unfortunately, they show up in churches all the time. And they have a head knowledge of love, Bible verses about love, definite Greek words about love. And we go out and we live our lives and you're like, whoa, what's that? So I want to ask the question, how does God make us a more loving person? How does God cultivate the fruit of love in our lives? Yes, we look to the scriptures, but we don't just need more academic information about love. Here's my, my question. How does a person become someone who loves? How do we become a people who are fueled and we run on love instead of running on fear? How does God actually practically, personally form love in us? That seems to me like maybe the more important question. So maybe you've heard this phrase before. You ever heard the phrase that hurt people hurt people? If you haven't, it's a good phrase. It's true. Hurt people hurt people. And I've come to experience that, that those who often hurt other people 
are those who have been hurt themselves. And unless a person deals with their own pain, we often tend to transmit our pain. Unless your pain gets transformed, you become a transmitter of your pain. And hurt people hurt people. And usually those who have hurt you the most, if you know their story, they've been hurt before. But we're not talking about hurt people. <laughs> tonight we're talking about love. So here's my, here's my thesis tonight. That loved people love people. Can you remember that? Loved people Love people. And I don't think I'm making this up. How does God form the fruit of love in us? Loved people love people. And God loves to love the fear right out of us. And he loves to love us. He loves to pour out who he is over us and in us that his love may then flow through us that we would experience the love of God that would transform us into being a people that look and talk and act and live like him. Loved people love people. Isn't this what the Bible says? I've got some verses here tonight. For, we'll go back to John. He likes to talk about love. We love because he first loved us. Right? Loved people love people. We love in response. 1 John 4, 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. It's the, he's the source of our love. 1 John 4, 11, Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. Loved people love people. Or maybe you want some more of Jesus' own words. John 13, 34, he says to his disciples, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So, you must love one another. John 15, 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So I believe this is what Jesus, he, he knew this, he taught this, he lived this, that loved people love people. And then we watch it play out time and again. It reminds me of this story in Luke 7 when Jesus' dinner party gets interrupted let me read this to you. Luke 7, 36 says, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus, asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table, that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering him said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Notice Jesus' question. He's telling the story, and he turns to the Pharisee, and his question is, which one will love more? And Jesus turns it on them, verse 44. 
He says, then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. How do you explain her passion? How do you explain her willingness to blow into a house where she didn't belong, to blow into a house where she wasn't welcomed? How do you explain her tears and her kisses and her sacrifice and her lavish expression of love to crack open that which would have costed a small fortune of ointment and pour it out in, quote, wastefulness and devotion? How do you explain her lavish demonstration of love? Here's why. Loved people love people. And not only had she been forgiven much, but she had been loved much. And so she was willing to do whatever it took, no matter the scene, no matter the kickback, no matter what, to love and express her love back through her tears. So maybe you agree with me that loved people love people. Here's the question then, surrounding the fruit of the Spirit. How then does a person, how then, I'll personalize it, how then do I put myself in the best position to be loved by God? Or more succinctly, how do I let myself be loved by God? How do you let yourself be loved by God. How do you let God love you? Because some of us are actually resistant to God's love. Henry Nouwen reframes this so well. Here's his personal experience. He says, for most of my life, I've struggled to find God, to know God, to love God. I've tried hard to follow the guidelines of the spiritual life, pray always, work for others, read the scriptures, and to avoid the many temptations to dissipate myself. I have failed many times, but always tried again, even when I was close to despair. Now I wonder whether I have sufficiently realized that during all this time, God has been trying to find me, to know me, and to love me. The question is not, how am I to find God, but how am I to let myself be found by him? The question is not, how am I to know God, but how am I to let myself be known by God? And finally, the question is not, how am I to love God, but how am I to let myself be loved by God? God is looking into the distance for me, trying to find me, and longing to bring me home. So yeah, we can talk about love 101 and how to love yourself and love 201, how you should love your family or love 301 about how to love your neighbors, especially the really annoying ones. Or maybe even more potent, who are your enemies? And how are you called to love your enemies? Like grad level love? But maybe even the more fundamental question is, is are you willing to let God love you and receive his love? Remember, remember how things grow. 
Remember how fruit is born? We talked about this last week. It's the secret of indirection. For fruit to grow, you don't just yell at the fruit. Berries, grow. No, the wise farmer knows that for the berries to grow, the apples to grow, the fruit to happen, you don't just focus on the fruit, you focus on indirection, on the things that will actually produce the fruit. That's why you water and you weed and you till and you... Pr- you fo- indirection allows for the, the fruit to grow. Or uh, Dallas Willard's famous metaphor, if someone sat you down at the piano and handed you Beethoven's fifth and told you to play it, maybe some of us in the room could play it, but if I handed you Beethoven's fifth and said, play this, and then said, well, try harder, you could try harder, but chances are you're not going to play it. So rather than just trying harder on playing it, you'd be more fruitful in taking your time and learning the scales that would enable you to become the kind of person who could then play Beethoven's fifth. And so rather than me just defining love or telling you you guys are lousy lovers, love more, dang it. Try harder this week. Come back and tell me how it goes. Let's be Ben Franklin and make a chart and we'll all put stars Or we'll put marks where you didn't love this week and we'll see who's standing next week when we come back. That's not the way this goes. And we hope and we pray for the fruit of the Spirit to happen in our lives. But again, maybe the bigger question is, how do you let God love you? How do you best position yourself to receive God's love? How do you let him love the fear out of you? Like what scale work might produce loving fruit in and through us? Jesus had an answer for this. If you've ever read John 15. In John 15, verse 9, Jesus said, Here, Here's how you do it, you abide. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. Here's the challenge. If I say, hey, How's your abiding going this week? Most of us will be like, I have no idea what you mean. I don't even know what that means. Hey, are you abiding? Mm, Maybe. So let me offer you some help on what that may look like. How do we let God love us? What does it mean for us to abide? How do we remain in God's love? A couple thoughts and then we'll be done tonight. This is just some practical things. I think it's important for us to remember the order of love. And I've already touched on this some tonight. But if you want to let God love you, you have to remember the counterintuitive truth of the gospel and of the scriptures that God loved you first. God loves you. He loves you first. Not after you cleaned yourself up. Not after you worked out all the problems of your life. Not after you've had a really good week or a really good month. But when, you were at, when I was at my worst, and you too, Jesus died for us. And 1 John 4.19 just rings again. We love because he first loved us. 
God loves you. He loves you first. It is not, you're not earning it. It's not because you merited it. But because of who he is and his character and very essence and nature demonstrated fully through Jesus on the cross. God loves you. So we have to remember, because I forget this. My, my instinct is to think that I've got to do something to make God love me. But no, the order of love is that God is love and that he loves first. I don't climb my way to heaven. He came down. He pursues. Remember the order of love. It's also helpful, I think, for us to let God love us is for us to be honest, to get real about the state of our love. And I don't know about you, but for me, my love ebbs and flows. Sometimes like some serious ebbing and flowing. I'm reminded of the man in the Gospels who says, I believe, help my unbelief. I find myself in a similar vein saying to God, God, I love you, help my lack of love. And then there's this old saint, Teresa. <laughs> She's been around for a while. Uh, it's 1515 to 1582. Uh, she lived a long time ago. Here's her prayer. God, I don't love you. I don't want to love you, but I want to want to love you. And I'm just, sometimes I'm just being honest with God. I'm like, God, today I don't love you. And actually, if I'm honest, I don't even really want to love you, but I want, but I want to want to love you. I'm just going to be honest. And it's in those places of honesty where I think God rushes in. God speaks the language of truth. So like playing games about the, the, the state of our love doesn't work. And he's looking for people to be honest. Another, how do I let God love me? Maybe you could spend some time reminiscing about the past facts of his love. So here's, here's the past facts of his love. Romans 5, verse 5, tells us that no matter how you feel, no matter how good or bad of a week you've had this week, that the love of the Father has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So this, this is actual truth, right? Here's where the name of our church actually helps. Real, here's reality. This is actual reality. This is truth. This is fact. This is past fact that through the work of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has been given. And as the Spirit has been given to you, God's love, the Father's love, has been poured out into your hearts. God is and has streamed his love into our hearts so that by faith we may then refract his love out through our lives. Have you ever watched home movies before? Old home movies? My kids love. Can we, can we watch? Let's watch these movies when we were kids. We pull out the old camcorder and we hook it up through the TV and we watch when they were born and we watch when they were little, destroying our house, having fun, playing, singing, dancing. It's fun as a family to sit. Like, do you remember that? 
That's nutso. That's crazy. That's, it's the beauty of reminiscing. You ever sat around a campfire with friends and told stories and laughed and reminisced? You ever remember a time when you experienced the love of God being poured out into your heart through the Holy Spirit? Do you have any of those holy memories when you've experienced Him in His love? Another way in which we can help let God love us is to rehearse His love Psalm 107, verse 43 says, Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. And then Psalm 89, verse 1, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. And so sometimes, you may wonder why we often get together every week and we sing songs. It's not just because we like, ah, oh, that's, that's a cool riff. We have to sing songs. Like, one of the values of singing is for us to make known with our lips, to consider it, think about it, sing about it, proclaim it, testify it, speak of his love. He has been, he has been pouring out his love on his people for centuries. And let's tell the story of the steadfast love of the Lord that has been through the ages and has been in my life. And so there's this this opportunity by yourself, with others, rehearse his love, speak of his goodness, tell the stories. And it reminds me, it puts me in a place to be reminded of God's love for me. I think this is the last one I have. Receive his love from your go-to places. Like, this is as practical as I can maybe make it for you. I have made a list. I was encouraged by those in my life to make a list of the people, places, and activities that bring you life and remind you of God's love. So I have done that. I have a list. I, well, I, I, I brought some of it. I'm not sharing all of it with you. So I have a list of people. I didn't do the people list because I didn't want you all to feel bad. You may not be on the list. But I have a list. I like wrote down names. I have actual names of people that I know when I spend time with them. They bring life to me and remind me about God's love. And so here's the deal. When I feel... In despair, when I am having a rough time remembering God's love, it's helpful for me to spend time with those people. Like put myself in their presence and me being with them helps me experience the love of God. Here are some of my places. Palm Springs, where my in-laws live, Joshua Tree National Park, Priest Point Park, St. Martin's Chapel, the Abbey at Mount Angel in Oregon, a certain lake house we've gone to, Powell's Bookstore, a divine place. My parents' home in Vancouver, Washington, certain art museums, Washington, D.C., where my oldest daughter now goes to college. Keep it on that list for a second. Some of those cost a lot of money for me to travel to. 
so I don't go there very often. But I know that those are places when I go there, I have a reminder of God's presence and God's love and God's work in my life. Some of these places are local, and I actually have to put it in my calendar to go spend some time in those places and be reminded of God's love for me. I've got a list of activities. Reading good books, reading scripture, journaling, holy hammock time, taking a walk with my dog, listening to music, a good movie, a date night with my wife, watching my kids do their thing, 20 minutes of silent prayer. I learned through COVID that actually traveling on an airplane to faraway places is actually good for my soul. Getting dessert, playing city league basketball, my team's the small dogs, playing my bass guitar, watching sports, and napping. Taking a nap with my dog on my lap, sunrise, sunsets, musicals, art displays, a certain app that I use, Lectio 365, listening to or watching good stand-up comedy. You may say, that list sounds like some secular activities, Paul. (laughs) I don't believe in secular activities. I think all of life is sacred. And there are some places that I go in this world and activities that I do and people that I spend time with that remind me that God loves me. And your list will look very different than my list. But I encourage you to write it down and to put yourself in places and spend time intentionally where God can remind you that he's loved you first and he actually hasn't stopped loving you. He's going to love you through to the end. There's one more I didn't put on here that I just felt prompted today to add. You can go to the list of the R's. They all start with R if you didn't notice that. No, that's not it. Either that one. Do you have my R's? Sorry, that's a vague question. Maybe go back before I gave this list. There we go. These, these R's here. Yeah. Here's the last one that I'll add. I don't have a slide for it. And that's, that's reckon your sin. Reckon with your sin. Because as a follower of Jesus, I have discovered that I sin. And I can ignore my sin, but it doesn't go away. I can try and handle my sin on my own, but it just festers. But they're the, the, the precious promise of the scripture is that if I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So if I want to let God love me, one of the best things I can do is to confess my sin to him. And he promises every time without fail, that he will forgive me and cleanse me. That's why being a a people of repentance is a good thing, not a Debbie Downer. It's actually life. It's love to you. that a loving, holy God has made a way for you to actually deal with the thing that will kill you. So we get to be a people of confession with others and to him and repentance. 
and realize the debt that we owed. He who is forgiven much loves much. She who is forgiven much loves much. Do you know the cost of his love to you to deal with your sin? If you want to be reminded of his love, if you want to experience his love again, confess your sin to him, and he meets you there, and he promises to forgive you and to show his love to you again. If the scripture is true, that perfect love casts out fear, it is impossible for me to experience the full grip of anxiety when I am actively experiencing the love of God. You actually can't do it. You actually can't live in that place of anxiety when you experience the love of God because the perfect love of God displaces our fear. So how do we best let God love us? How do we best experience his love? Some of these things. One more Henry Nouwen quote, and I'll pray. He says, if you feel loved, you can do a thousand things. If you feel rejected, everything becomes a problem. Another way of saying that loved people love people. How do we love our enemies? How do we love our neighbors? How do we love our family? How do we love ourselves? It starts by putting ourselves again in active reception of God's love. Letting him love us again and again and again and again. Oh, and you remember Monsters, Inc. that I started with? The city that runs on fear. You remember how the movie ends, anyone? How's the movie end? Yeah, so rather than scaring kids and capturing their screams, they discover that their laughter is actually ten times more powerful than their screams, and so they fuel their city on laughter, or I'll say they fuel their city on love. God wants to farm your life and cultivate the fruit of your soil. So here's my question this week. How might you let him love you tonight? Let's pray. Lord, it's hard to talk about your love because it's so big and so amazing. And yet sometimes it can just feel so out there and abstract. Lord, I pray that you would do what my words may have even failed to do tonight in full, that by your Holy Spirit you would love these people, especially the ones that feel that they're unworthy. Especially the ones who feel like they've gone too far. Especially the ones who feel like you've turned your back on them. especially the ones who have had a really rough week this week. Those who have lots of questions and doubts and fears and anxieties. God, would you love them tonight? Would you allow them to experience and know your love tonight? Manifested perfectly in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Experienced personally through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
And we want to be people who love. That only happens when we know how deeply you love us first. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.